0: Romeo Krokiatsky lives in Kiev, Ukraine. And the main thing he wants you to know about that is that a year into Russia's invasion, things are pretty normal until they aren't.
1: My best buddy lives in New York, actually. And uh, I was talking to him, uh, like, I don't know, last week or something or two weeks ago. Uh, and he was asking me, like, how it was. And when I was telling him, he's like, well, it doesn't sound like too much has changed. And then an air raid siren went off, loud enough that you can hear it through, like, a window. So <laughs> that brought the situation into, I'd say, stark clarity.
0: Romeo grew up in New York City, but he moved to Kiev as an adult and became a journalist. Now he's the managing editor of The New Voice of Ukraine. I last spoke with him about a year ago, when the war was still fresh. It felt right to call him back now and see how he was holding up he says at least where he is it's the erratic electrical supply that would tip you off that a war's on and when the lights go out you can hear the difference you can smell it too
1: if the power's all good then things look more or less fine uh, as long as you don't pass a building but like all the generators are diesel and diesel stinks a lot so <laughs> it gets it gets pretty noisy and smelly
0: Does anyone shut down at this point or are people just like, nah, we're going to crank up the generator and keep this going?
1: No, no, everyone keeps going. I mean, like businesses still have to pay rent and taxes regardless of what else is going on. So it's either, you know, keep the doors open or shutter the business entirely at this point.
0: Romeo's worked out a system for how to keep himself going, too. His neighborhood group chat is the place he pings on the way home from work to figure out, are the lights still on? In fact, this practice is so common that someone recorded a little song about it for a
2: laugh.
1: the the little song was basically uh, people literally just satirizing that exact situation of getting off of work. check your phone, uh, messaging group chat and asking if the neighbor <laughs> has power.
0: It's a very funny little song with these like guys like doing little like drum motions,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. It was like. Is there power or not? Is there power or not?
0: It's just funny that something can evolve to the point of being funny. You know what I mean? Like, it's like this is actually Russia trying to take away a vital source of energy for your country. And yet you're living it, you know? And so if you can't laugh at it, it'll get even darker.
1: I don't know. Maybe it's a stereotype, but it always seemed to me that Ukrainians have a much greater capacity for laughing at themselves than anyone else. We don't take many things very seriously, and even the serious things we try to joke about.
0: Yeah, it seems to me a little like there's two Ukraines right now. Like there, the Ukraine you're living in, which is somewhat normal, and then Eastern Ukraine, where things are anything but. And you're the managing editor of the New Voice of Ukraine, so you must have colleagues all over the place, even in these other regions that are in pretty bad shape. How does your experience compare to theirs?
1: I mean, Kharkiv was just a hit today, and uh, an entire bus station was blown up. So it's... On the one hand, I'm grateful. I also feel a little guilty that I, you know, live in... A relatively safe place with all the usual modern amenities power and internet's on people have social plans and then when i think about how it is further east it's it's hard to reconcile to be honest even for me the the disparity in feelings
0: how long do you think these two ukraines can coexist
1: well hopefully until the end of the war and then there won't be this this kind of split personality i hope Ukrainians, if nothing else, are very determined to keep on living.
0: Today on the show, an update on Romeo's war. It has been a year. He does not see an end in sight. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around.
1: For the
0: ones who get it done. Early in the war, Romeo Krokiatsky fled Kiev and went to his hometown, a village in the countryside. He was living alone, wondering each week if Kiev would finally fall to Russian forces.
1: It was, at the beginning, it was a pretty chaotic situation because Kiev was still under threat. defense lines were pretty fluid it wasn't clear if the russians were going to break through or not and as a journalist i had to be on top and be covering everything fielding media requests from every corner of the globe but things then then things settled down and kind of approached normalcy i mean there was a curfew at 10 which was a bit strange. The lights, the street lights were kept off.
0: Oh, to kind of encourage you to stay inside. And I guess also so you couldn't be seen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the government was very strongly encouraging people to like keep their lights off at night um, to make it harder to, to target places.
0: I know that you're a journalist, but I imagine you know all kinds of people involved in the war effort in all kinds of ways. And you've alluded online to knowing people who fought and even died in the war. Would you feel comfortable telling me one of their stories?
1: Yeah, um, an old colleague of mine, and actually one of the first friends I made in this country, Eugene Podkovka was his name. Uh, he'd in- messaged me at the beginning uh, of the war saying he'd enlisted. Uh, and we kind of, we didn't keep in too good touch, something I'll always regret but we would message each other from time to time. And Eugene was incredibly smart guy. One of the, one of the smartest guys I've met, he was an electrical engineer, then a IT specialist. And the guy was really, really clever. He was really, really artistic and creative on top of that, which is weird for an engineer. <laughs> but uh, And he, he messaged me last in September telling me he'd been um, sent to Buckland. And then in I think december i found out that he'd been killed i cried for a day and then um i tried to move on because that's more to be honest i'm lucky that i've only lost one friend so far uh and i warn all of my other friends in the front that if they don't come home i'm gonna go find uh, I'm gonna go find their ghost and harass their ghost for the rest of their afterlife.
0: <laughs> it's like the opposite. You're like the go. You're gonna haunt them. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, how did you decide to return to Kiev? Like, when did you know it was time?
1: Um, around mid-December. I don't know if I knew it was time or not. I was just getting really tired of being in Vienna, and most of my friends had moved back by then.
0: Had you kept your apartment in Kiev?
1: Yeah, thankfully, my apartment was there and waiting for me, and it felt pretty great to be home.
0: Yeah, can you tell me about like the first time you walked back into your apartment? Were were things as you left them? Had you had someone looking after the place?
1: It was definitely a a kind of like frozen in time feeling.
0: Was there something you'd forgotten about the place that all of a sudden you're like, oh yeah, that?
1: Yeah, actually, um, like a month before the war started, I'd finally bought a dishwasher. I hadn't had a dishwasher in the past eight years of living in Ukraine, Um, and I completely forgotten that I bought it. Uh, And when I came back, I was uh, I had cooked myself a a huge dinner to to kind of celebrate, and I'm looking at this giant pile of dishes. I'm like, "Crap, what do I do now?" Then I saw this dishwasher, (laughs) and I was like, "What? When did what? How did how did this? Who did this?"
0: this
1: (laughs) I had to call my wife, and I was like, "Hey, how do we how do we use this thing?" (laughs)
0: If it feels strange to hear Romeo laughing, remember the Ukrainian way through this war has been with humor. After all, President Volodymyr Zelensky used to be a comedian. Romeo says the war has put this slapstick approach in the spotlight.
1: The Ukrainian game is really tight. (laughs) Um, I think I share a lot of them on Twitter, but uh, honestly, I'm, I'm even I'm shocked. Like official government channels sharing like pretty hilarious memes especially the like the the russian worship meme that 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 was Russian
0: worship go fuck yourself
1: Yeah 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 it kind of died down now but uh people still have bumper stickers of it on their cars and...
0: <laughs> You tweeted out this song that I did not understand because I don't speak Ukrainian It's like a song that I tried to play it from your Twitter feed, but it was like this is too offensive. You have to go to YouTube, and then I went when I went to YouTube, it was like some people think this is offensive. Do you still want to click play? And I was like, okay, and I clicked play, and I have no idea what it is.
1: Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, this is actually um, a song that a, a military analyst, a buddy of mine, um, shared with me at the beginning of uh, at the beginning of the war. <laughs> So it's a song about how the Russians are shit. (laughs) It's a a, a song going from the perspective of a Russian officer and how everything he was told is a lie and how all the men under his command are incompetent idiots, their equipment doesn't work, the orders they get are crap, and they turn into fertilizer. <laughs> then it switches to the perspective of a soldier who was lied to by his president, by his uh, Minister of Defense, by his commanders. And how he is also turning into fertilizer.
0: Is this the kind of thing that like gets shared a lot? Like people are just sort of like, yeah, look at this, check this out.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, it brings a smile to my face every time I see, you know, the three Stooges equivalent of a bunch of soldiers being screwed is uh, uplifting.
0: When we come back, all jokes aside, one year in, what will it take to end the war?
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. how you're anticipating what's going to happen
0: on the actual day of the anniversary of the invasion. You've noted that Vladimir Putin seems to like anniversaries. So how are you preparing yourself?
1: To be honest, um, I am, and maybe I'm being too optimistic here. My expectation is it's just going to be a mass missile attack. Okay, just... Yeah, it feels weird to say just a mass missile attack, but we've had so many of them that now when I hear an air raid siren, it feels like comforting, and not scary. What? Because it's a reminder that we have a warning system and our air defense is working.
0: That is like the most unhinged optimism I've ever heard.
1: <laughs> maybe, maybe I, I'm not. I can't dispute that. Um. Uh, but people, in general, people are not as optimistic as I am. Um, a lot of people are like either preparing to spend the night in a bomb shelter or in the corridor or in a basement or they're just leaving Kiev for a few days. You're not. No. I think from what I can tell, the Russians don't have the capability of doing anything flashy short of nuking us. And if they nuke us, it won't really matter where I am. But I don't think they're going to do this.
0: When you heard that Joe Biden was visiting Kiev, were you surprised, reassured?
1: To be honest, I was completely shocked. I did not expect Biden to come to Kiev during wartime at all. <laughs> um, but for the Ukrainians, to be honest, we're just incredibly happy that Biden came and That was support as solid as sending tanks and jets, though the U.S. should still do those things, not just show up.
0: Do you feel like Ukraine has what it needs militarily at this point, going into this anniversary?
1: No, absolutely not. Um, There's still no agreement on providing Ukraine with uh, modern airplanes, with modern jet fighters. Ammo is running out as pretty much every military. Very official has been yelling for the past couple of months ammo's running out. There's definitely not enough stuff to keep up a concerted defense of the type that's needed against basically near constant Russian assault, especially with um, the new offensive. Ukrainian intelligence believes that Putin ordered the Russian military to um, basically take the rest of the Donbass, the, the rest of Donetsk and Luhansk oblasts by the end of March. And they're kind of attacking very constantly, taking enormous, enormous 1,000 plus losses per day, and they are taking some ground. Not a lot, just a couple of meters a day, but they are still taking some ground, and we don't have enough to keep up the the firepower necessary to deter them, and nor do we have the modern tanks that were promised. Uh, a Pentagon official said that the 31 Abrams that were promised by Washington wouldn't be arriving for the next three to six months. Oh my gosh! Which is incredibly long time. They, the official said th- that they hadn't even decided whether they're going to send us existing Abrams or build entirely new ones. When these processes should have been already in place. Same with the leopards and the challengers and all the new stuff that's been promised. It's promised on a timeline that is way too far out. So I definitely do not feel like we have what we need to continue to defend ourselves successfully.
0: That must make you kind of
1: nervous. It would have made me nervous earlier in the war, but we've seen the pattern um, of the West speeding up as the deadline draws near. So. I think the weapon supplies and deliveries will speed up, and, and to be honest, another reason I'm not too nervous is that Russia is simply running out of everything. Um, their mass missile attacks slowed from every few days to once a week now, once every few weeks, or before big occasions. The simple fact that Russia is seemingly unable to scale up any of its operations. Its uh, mobilization drives are drying up. Its soldiers are being sent to fight in winter condition in basically single layer linens. Um, And they're taking a thousand plus losses per day. Morale has been negative for months now. There's a very physical limit to how long they can keep up what they're doing. I, as an inveterate optimist, hope that um, that physical limit is reached sooner rather than later, but they will reach it regardless.
0: I know you've spoken before, and I've heard about this too, about this sense of solidarity among Ukrainians that's been sparked by the Russian invasion. You know, people have helped each other, you know, crowdfunded for resources. I'm sort of curious about whether you see ways the invasion has inflamed divisions too, like we did a show a few weeks back about the way some neighbors turned against each other, accusing each other of working with the Russians, especially in towns that were occupied. I wonder if you've seen some of that friction as well.
2: I mean,
1: it's kind of a joke amongst Ukrainians that one of our favorite hobbies is to accuse everyone around of being traitors. Um, (laughs) To the point where it's a meme, like whenever anything bad happens, you start yelling Zrata or treason in Ukrainian.
0: Huh.
1: I actually have an app on my phone called Zrata, which is like a tip line if you suspect someone of collaboration. Really? Yes. Yeah. But to be honest, the divisions aren't that much. I'd even say there's less division now than there was in 2014 after the annexation of Crimea and the invasion of Donbass. Uh, then you had a lot of stereotypes about people from the East being all criminals, um, all like Russianized. What are they doing here? Blah, blah, blah.
0: When they fled, you mean?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like there were even um, like listings for apartments that say, oh, we don't rent if you're from the East or whatever. Huh. Um, but that has not been the case.
0: You know, last time we were on, you talked about your doomed optimism about the war. Do you think that there's going to be a year two mark to this war? Like, Do you think in February 2024, I'll be calling you back?
1: Yeah, probably. Um, I I don't see this war ending until Putin is dead, whether from natural causes or infighting or, I don't know, a commando raid that's going to make a great movie in 10 years. Um, but I don't see this war ending until he's dead.
0: Romeo, I'm really grateful all the times we speak. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for for listening.
0: Romeo Krokiatsky is the managing editor of New Voice of Ukraine, and he's the co host of the podcast, Ukraine Without Hype. All right, that's the show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support us is to look into our membership program. It's known as Slate Plus. But to find out how, go on over to slate.com slash What Next Plus. You can sign up right there. What Next is produced by Alana Schwartz, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We are getting a ton of support from Jared Downing and Laura Spencer. We're led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. You can go track me down on Twitter. Say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. I'm handing things off to Lizzie O'Leary and the What Next TBD crew. And I'll be back in this feed on Monday. Catch you then.